Good morning. Ideas are often poor ghosts. Our sun-filled eyes cannot discern them. They pass us in thin vapor and cannot make themselves felt. But sometimes they are made flesh. They breathe on us with warm breath. They touch us with soft, responsive hands, they are clothed with a living soul, then their presence becomes a power. Then they shake us like a passion, and we are drawn after them as flame is to a flame. That's Mary Ann Evans, the 19th century novelist who went by the pen name George Eliot. And she says something that's pretty humbling to a person like me who works with words, that ideas are often like poor ghosts, that they pass right through us, leaving us untouched, unaffected. It's a person who invites people into ideas and is doing it right now, that's pretty humbling. But it also seems right to me. But most of the time, it's like ideas pass right through us. And yet sometimes, sometimes they become something more. They become flesh, and sometimes their presence feels like a power that shakes us like a passion. If you find yourself with faith this morning, it is probably not just because you encountered a bunch of ideas but because faith became flesh, in particular people, your parents or mentors or friends. If I told you the story of my faith, it would be in large part the story of people who I've met who have made faith breathe for me, who have made faith feel real to me. And you could probably tell a similar story. And I think that's the way it's supposed to work because the heart of Christian faith is not a set of ideas but a living person, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh who shows us the Father, the Son who sends the Spirit into our hearts, a living presence who moves us to live lives that matter and to make faith breathe for somebody else. So often, we lose the thread. We lose our sense of what is really real, and everything begins to feel thin and frail. It feels like theory. It feels like just more information. We still believe it. It's like we don't see it. It doesn't touch us. It doesn't move us. It doesn't shake us. And we wonder what it would take to find that thread again. Ideas are poor ghosts. Show me a life. Show me something that lives and breathes. Now, this is a chapel series about prayer. And prayer is premised on the idea that when we pray, we aren't just talking to ourselves, that there is a God who is reaching out to us. And though we cannot see him with the eyes of our heads, he can open the eyes of our hearts, like we just sung. This means that prayer is as much an act of imagination as it is an act of faith. And to help us see this, there might not be a better place for us to look than Hebrews chapter 11. 
the chapter that has sometimes been called the Hall of Faith. I want you to listen to how this chapter begins. Verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Notice that faith is assurance about what we do not see and that this is what the ancients were commended for, believing without seeing. And yet, as we move through the hall of faith, in each case, it's like they did see something. A heavenly city, a promised homeland. Or in the case of Moses, in verse 27, it says he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Which means that we can believe without seeing, but believing is also a whole new kind of seeing. Seeing with the eyes of our heart. How do we learn to see with the eyes of our heart? We notice that in this chapter, we are not given a method, a technique. We're given models. Because this way of seeing is better caught than taught. A few years ago, I was hiking a trail in Peru with a group that included a bird-watching enthusiast. Have you ever been around one of these people who loves watching birds? And he was so excited because he was going to see birds he had never seen before. He had this big book of 500 birds of Peru, native species that he had never seen in the United States. And so as we walked, he saw them everywhere. I saw them nowhere. I heard them, or at least I heard birds in general, But he could see what I could not see. But I found that as I walked with this bird-watching enthusiast over the course of the week, I began to notice the things that were there the whole time, but that I had not yet calibrated my attention to see. And that's what we want to do this morning, to spend a bit of time walking with our forefathers and foremothers and learning how to look. Now, the NIV calls them the ancients. Other versions say people of old or the elders. But I'm going to follow the CSB with the word ancestors. And I like this word both because it gives me Wakanda Forever vibes, but also because it reminds me that we are part of this family, this one family of faith. In context, it's referring to our Old Testament ancestors. I want to expand the category to include all the believers who have come before us, who teach us how to see. Because here's the prayer that I want to offer to you this morning, a prayer that you can pray. It goes like this, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Open my eyes to see what my ancestors saw. Because the text reveals this dynamic of seeing and believing in which God shows us the faith of our ancestors and the faith of our ancestors shows us God. So those are the two movements of the talk. Let's take the first one. God shows us the faith of our ancestors. So how can we believe in a God that we cannot see? Well, Christians have often talked about this like the wind. We cannot see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind. And in the same way, we cannot see God, but we can see the effects of God's work in the world all around us. And some of God's best work is seen in the beautiful lives of those who belong to him. Now, of course, no one's life is wholly beautiful. And Christians have often failed miserably in resembling Jesus. 
There are many sad chapters in the history of the church, and there are many people, especially in our time, who have, not, who have lost faith not in God so much as in the church, and maybe you're one of them. But these failures, these hypocrisies of the church are not the whole story. And so as we walk through Hebrews 11, we see that there is this thread of faith carried by some names we know, but also by many names we don't know, who pass on to us this way of seeing and believing through many generations. In fact, my favorite part of Hebrews 11 is at the end, the part without names, verses 33 through 38, which I want to read with you. It says about them that they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Ideas are poor ghosts. Show me a life. Show me something that lives and breathes, and God shows us the lives of these saints who knew strength and who knew suffering. And it says the world was not worthy of them. John Newton is the one who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, which I'm sure you've all heard, but there is another hymn uh, that he wrote that I love called Let Us Love and Sing and wonder. And there's a verse, the very last verse, that goes like this. Let us praise and join the chorus of the saints enthroned on high. Here they trusted him before us. Now their praises fill the sky. That was much more nerve-wracking to sing in front of you than I thought it would be. <laughs> the first time that I heard this song, I was in seminary. And I will never forget seeing one of my professors, a professor of church history, an otherwise stoic and subdued individual, raise both of his hands in worship as he sang this. Here they trusted him before us. As if he was joining the testimony of the ones whose faith he taught every day. I love Hebrews 11, and I love studying theology because it always reminds me that faith did not begin with us. There is this great cloud of witnesses who testify to this God who they trusted here before us, and we can trust him too. There's this concept in philosophy of mind called extended cognition. That sounds fancy. But really all it means is something as simple as maybe 
writing something down on a piece of paper or saying, me saying to my wife, Melissa, can you help me remember to call the dentist? Or maybe now you say, a Siri, help me set a reminder uh, to call the dentist. And the idea of extended cognition is that our mind, by extending through others, gets bigger. It gains a greater capacity by being extended through other people who help us remember. And I think prayer works this way too. One of the daily practices that has helped me immensely is simply starting my prayer time with the Psalms. We've done that today already. But I'll start by simply reading a Psalm out loud, and sometimes, honestly, that's all I can do. That's all I can muster. But other times, the prayer of the Psalmist prepares the way for my own prayer. His words gives birth to more words for me. And whenever we open the book of Psalms or any other book of prayers or whenever we go to church or gather with other believers, it's like our faith is being extended beyond our puny perspectives. It's as if we are drawing on other hearts to help us remember, saying, help me remember what is most real. Help me to remember what really matters. And it's as if we are saying to God, God, open my eyes to see what they see. Open my eyes to see what my ancestors saw. Because as God shows us the faith of our ancestors, the faith of our ancestors shows us the faithfulness of God. They bear testimony to a God who is worth trusting in strength and in weakness, in life and in death. My favorite passage about seeing and believing is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. It goes like this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Though you have not seen him, you love him. I have known Christians who have lost so much and have loved their Lord so much more. I once had the opportunity to visit a refugee camp on the border of Thailand and Myanmar. And wouldn't you know it that in this refugee camp, they were starting a school to train ministers and missionaries to go back and to preach to their persecutors. Another time I was in Central Asia and I met a woman who the night before had hid under her kitchen table with her daughter as a group of men threw rocks through their windows and shouted, Jesus lives here. What did you do? We asked. We sang praise songs, she said, because Jesus really did live there. I struggled this morning to remember her name, but I will never forget her testimony. How could I ever be the same after meeting these saints? This is my family of faith. And how proud I am say that these are my people, my sisters, my brothers, how I long to be like them, how I long to see what they have seen and to love as they have loved. One of the best arguments for the reality of God is saints. Ordinary believers who live with extraordinary passion and purpose 
whose mostly unseen lives are unspeakably beautiful. If there are saints, surely there must be a saint maker. Maybe you're here and like me, you struggle to believe in what you cannot see. Ideas are poor ghosts. You need to see a life. You need something that lives and breathes. So let me give you an assignment. Don't go online. Go to a church and find someone who has walked with the Lord for 50 or 60 years. Someone who can tell you about all that life can give and all that death can take and ask them to tell you about the faithfulness of God. You are not alone. You are part of something that is deep and beautiful and ancient and strong. And there are well-worn paths, trails blazed by those who have come before us, who left behind maps for us to navigate the journey of difficulty and doubt. And so the, the Psalms, the book of Psalms is a great place to start, but there are so many resources and the stories and songs and prayers of the church to help you learn to see. Hebrews calls this the great cloud of witnesses. And Hebrews 11 shows us how to see with the eyes of faith, what it looks like to live with the energizing hope in the midst of success, in the midst of suffering. I will confess that my faith often feels so small and weak. And so I need the faith of the larger body of Christ to help me see, to help me remember. Because God shows us the faith of our ancestors and the faith of our ancestors shows us the faithfulness of God. My testimony feels so tiny. But their testimony, that is formidable. But there is something even stronger. Because Hebrews 11 leads into Hebrews 12, where we read this. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews acknowledges that life can feel so unbearably hard sometimes. That it's easy to grow weary, that it's easy to lose heart. If you live with faith, there's no guarantee that your life will go well or get better, at least on this side of things. But what is sure, what is more certain than the sunrise, is that God can be trusted with it all. Because the most important thing that God shows us to nurture our faith is not the faith of our ancestors, but the faithfulness of Jesus. If we want to know who God is, if we want to know if God can be trusted with our lives, we look for, we look to, we look at Jesus, not just an ancestor. The author and the finisher of our faith, the pioneer and perfecter. The band can come up.
Let me finish with this as they come. If our ancestors persevered as they looked towards the God who is unseen, we persevere as we fix our eyes on Jesus, in whom God's face has been clearly seen. We do not build our faith on our feelings. Our faith is rooted in the life and death, resurrection and ascension of someone with flesh like ours and blood like ours and a body like ours. Because ideas are poor ghosts. We need to see a life, something that lives, something that breathes, and God shows us his life in Jesus, who lives and who breathes, who lives and who breathes, who breathes the Holy Spirit into us to open the eyes of our heart so that we can make faith breathe for someone else. So come, let us behold him.